Oh, good. Well, how y'all doing? Y'all doing okay? Yeah? Fair to Midland, I heard that. It's warmer. It's going to keep getting warmer, I think. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Well, I'm glad to be here with you all today. Um, it's a good day. It's a good day. Um, but I thought I would start today with a warning, actually. So, <laughs> now I got your attention. Here's a warning. Um, I realized as I was as I was preparing for this week, uh, uh, I realized that today I might be a little abrasive. And for some of you, you're thinking a little abrasive. You're always a little abrasive. Um, I'm going to be... <laughs> Y'all are weird. Um, you like it whenever somebody's abrasive. Um, anyway, so um, I'm... My warning is this: I might be a little more abrasive than normal. Um, <laughs> you made it longer than I thought you would. Uh, so, I can't. I can't even do it. I can't. Oh goodness sakes! Just talk to each other again. Um, <laughs> I might be more abrasive than normal this morning. So. Today's text falls right in line with some things I've been thinking about anyway in, a, in another book that I've been reading. Everything just kind of fell in line, and it kind of stirred something um, in me just a little bit that, that isn't content with the way things are. Um, so if I come across a little abrasive, it, it just is what it is. I'm just trying to prepare you for that. So um, I, I might step on some toes. I might say some things that are a little uncomfortable or challenge maybe even your concept of the way things are. Um, so there's my warning for you all today. But before we do that, let's have a little bit of fun. Um, I think we can. Are you OK with having fun in church? You all good with that? OK, um, can we put that picture up there? Does anybody know what? No, no, wait, don't be say it. Nobody say what this is. If you know what this is, without saying it, raise your hand. How many of you know what this is? Okay. All right. Somebody tell me what this is. It's Simon Says, right? It's a game. It's Simon Says. So the lights light up, and you're supposed to push them in the right order, and it keeps on adding to the number of lights that you got to press, and it sees how... Well, I was never any good at it, because my memory is terrible. Um, so it's Simon Says, right? Now, how many of you remember playing Simon Says as a kid? How many of you, okay, everybody, you know, you know how to play Simon Says, right? Simon Says, that if you know how to play Simon Says, say yes. Okay, good, good, all right, all right, good. Um, Let's just, let's just play, let's play Simon Says. I'm going to do my best to mirror you all because I think this is fun, so if I tell you to raise your right hand, I'll try to raise my left, that way I'm not trying to throw you off, okay? So Simon Says, raise your right hand. Simon Says, put your hand down. Simon Says, raise your left hand. Put your hand down. Ooh, some of you did it. And we haven't even gone fast yet. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your ear. Simon says, hit the person next to you. No, please don't do that. That's a joke. Okay, don't hit the person next to you. That's bad. Um, All right, well, you guys get the point. So you guys get how Simon says works, right? Okay, now there's a reason for this. There's a reason I bring that up. And this is part of why I think this discontent has popped up, okay? So, you get the point of Simon Says. If Simon says to do something, you're supposed to do it. If Simon didn't say to do it, you don't do it, right? Okay. See, a lot of us, a lot of us have been taught that if, if the Bible says something, we do it in our heart. Right? Y'all, y'all ever heard that? Like, we believe this in our heart. 
The problem is, it's like Simon Says is saying something, and we're like, well, I'm doing it in my heart. But we never actually do it. See, it's like we want to play the game, but Simon's not really telling us to do anything. Like, we're hearing the words, but Simon's not telling us to do anything. Okay, now you see how this might be a little abrasive today. Y'all picking up on this? Good. Uh, Some of you are, some of you aren't. I'll be more clear here in just a moment, no worries. We, we have this Christianized language, this, uh, I call it Christianese, that we speak. Um, it's like, well, you know, you just, you, just need to, you just need to like invite Jesus into your heart. You just need to love Jesus with all your heart. You just need to, all this in, in your heart. And I understand the point. But a lot of times we say, yeah, I've got Jesus in my heart. But we don't do anything. Am I... Am I hurting anybody's feelings yet? No, don't, don't tell me. But it seems like we're wanting to play the game, but Simon's not saying anything. Y'all tracking? So, I think we see the real calling today, um, in the text today. And just so you know, the calling isn't as simple as we oftentimes make it out to be. The calling is actually very costly. It, it's simple in concept, but it's very difficult in practice. So we're going to see that today. I would like it if we could read God's word. Would you stand with me? We're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25 today. And we're going to look at what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. What it really means to be a follower of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. um, It says, if I get on the right page here. It says, When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. So the question I would like to ask, and I would like for each of us to ask ourselves today, um, is, again, very simple in concept, very difficult in practice, okay? And that's this question. Are we really following Jesus? Are we really following Jesus? Okay, now I want to be careful with what I'm going to say today because uh, I'm going to call this a a litmus test, a three-part litmus test, okay? Now, understand something. I'm not saying that you can go through this list and if you check all the boxes, you're saved, 
Okay, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to say the Bible shows us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if we compare our lives to it, we can, we can answer some of those questions for ourselves. Am I faithfully following Jesus? Am I faithfully following Jesus? So that's what I want us to answer today. Am I really faithfully following Jesus? Okay, but again, understand following Jesus is more than just checking a box. It's literally committing your life to go where he leads. It's following, following after him. Um, I say that to tell you, I do think that the text, again, the Bible gives us some, some pictures of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we can put our lives next to that and say, am I following Jesus the way he's commanded? Am I doing what Jesus demands of us? Like, am I being faithful to the calling he's placed on my life? And maybe, maybe what you'll find is that we need to be more faithful in following after him. See, many of us, we've, we've heard the Christian line, right? Well, yeah, I trust Jesus with my life. But then we look at what the Bible shows us about trusting Jesus with our lives, and it looks very different. My question would be, then why? Are we truly following Jesus? Are we faithfully following Jesus? Or are we just trying to play Simon Says, but we don't think Simon's saying anything? Okay, so that's what I want us to look at as we look at this three-part litmus test for faithfully following Jesus, okay? Um, the first part. If we're faithfully following Jesus, we must go where he leads. If we're faithfully following Jesus, we must go where he leads. Now, this may sound very obvious. It may sound very obvious. Like, if you're following someone, well, then, yeah, of course, you're going to go where they lead you, right? That's what it means to follow. So, somebody moves and you're following, well, you're going to move right with them, right? That's what it means to follow. So, that may sound really obvious, but I think this is important to point out, Right? And I think one of the ways that we can ask this question, and there's several different ways we could ask this question, but we could ask the actual question, is the place where I am in life where God has led me? The place where I am in life right now, is this where God has led me? Or have I chosen this place apart from his leading? And I mean that in several different ways. Obviously, I think the easiest way to ask this is physical location. Um, obviously, okay? We're talking about physical location for just a moment. Um, I believe that God will call some, I'm not saying all, but I believe that God will call some to physically uproot their lives and move to a different context. I believe that God calls some people to do that, to relocate for the advance of the gospel, which means I believe that each one of us needs to honestly ask ourselves, honestly ask ourselves, and not just ourselves, but also God, ask, am I where you want me? Physically, am I located where you want me? And then willingly submit to his leading. Now, that's difficult because I know that that means that some people, even some very gifted people who we love very dearly, that might mean that they have to move. That might mean that they leave. Honestly, that's what we want, though. Understand, I'm not telling y'all to get out. (laughs) I love y'all. I'm so glad we can be in fellowship together. I'm very thankful for that. But the truth is, the church has always been one who sees new converts made, and at some point, many of those converts leave. Not all of them. I'm not saying everybody has to get up and physically leave, because if that happened, then what would happen to the church here? It wouldn't exist, because everybody's leaving. So no, I understand that many are going to be called to stay. But there are some who will be called to physically uproot their lives and move to a different context. And I'm not just talking about people in their early 20s, or their late teens, or maybe even their 30s. I'm talking about people who are maybe deeply entrenched in a career, and God places a calling on their life to to actually physically uproot themselves and move to a different context. I'm talking about maybe even some people who are retired and think, well, I'm set, I'm just going to live out my retirement where I'm at. Is that what God has led you to do? And it may be. Or maybe he's leading you to something else. 
But are we willingly and honestly asking ourselves, am I located, physically located where God has led me? Is this where, God, is this where you want me? And I think we should start by asking, like, God, is this where you have led me? I mean, I mean this another way. Are we where, we where God would lead us in life? I mean this another way also with, with career. Um, I also think that we all need to ask the question, is the career path I've chosen the one that God has asked me to pursue or commanded me to pursue? Is this where God would have me? I think each of us needs to ask that question. And again, I'm not telling everybody in the room to quit their job. <laughs> I'm not telling you all that you have to go into the pastorate or become vocational missionaries or anything like that. I'm not saying that everybody needs to. But I do think it's a good idea to ask, God, is the career path I've chosen the one that you've led me to? Or is it the one that my own selfish desires want me to follow? I think it's a good question to ask. I've watched entirely too many people, entirely too many professing believers, sacrifice God-given responsibilities in the name of pursuing money or prosperity or something else. I think it's always a good question to say, God, am I where you would have me in life? Is this career path that I've chosen the one that you would have me to pursue? I think we need to honestly and prayerfully ask that question. And even if you determine that the field that you are in is the right one, then we need to ask the question, how can I glorify God in my job, in the career path that God has led me to? How can I glorify him in this? One more way, and then I'll I'll jump back to the text here, okay? The other way I mean this is relationally. Um, Am I where God would have me in life and relationally? Um, Did you all know we have many in our congregation who are single? Who are not married. Um, for a couple, I know that's about to change. Uh-huh, I'm talking about you. It's about to change. James and Anna, they're getting married soon. We were just talking, it's like five weeks, less than five weeks, not to put pressure on it. But anyway, so yeah, now everybody's like, oh man, it's coming up fast. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but I think it's worth, worth at least pointing out that we need to, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we need to ask, is the relationship I've chosen to pursue, the the romantic relationship I've chosen to pursue, pursue, uh, is this where God has led me? Is this what God would have me to pursue? See, I don't think we always think in those terms. But I think if we're following Jesus, then we're going to ask, how does what he has said, how does what he demands of my life, how does that impact where I'm going? So I think we need to Ask those questions. And there's too many other scenarios to unpack all of them. So let's, let's go ahead and dive back to the text. Verse 12, it says that when Jesus, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And it goes through this quote from Isaiah. Now, what we see in the text is that Jesus goes where the Father has led him. Right? We see Jesus being obedient to the Father. And he knows where to go. And not only does he know where to go, he knows when to go. He uses wisdom in determining that. So I want to look at how we can know when and where. How do I know when and where to go? Well, first of all, we need to prayerfully consider things. Um, I already mentioned that, and I believe that Jesus would agree with that. But the text here shows us that Jesus depends on the Father for where to go. Right? He withdrew to Galilee. He withdrew to Galilee, it says. Now, one commentary indicated that this word um, withdrew, it it indicates a strategic withdrawal, a strategic withdrawal, not just like, well, this is hard, I'm out, I'll see you guys later. No, it was strategic in his withdrawal. He knew when to go and where to go. So he leaves his hometown of Nazareth, he leaves Judea, uh, where his ministry, uh, honestly, in his hometown, his ministry didn't really take root, and he went to Capernaum by the sea, it says. 
And this, this Capernaum becomes sort of a hub for, for his, um, his work in Galilee. It kind of becomes like a home base for him in Galilee. But why not Jerusalem? Why not some other prominent Jewish town? Why not? Wouldn't that make sense? Well, the reason he went here, as we see, is because Scripture demanded it of him. He knew where he needed to go. He was reliant on the Father for where to go. So, he went to the nations. He practiced what he would later preach, and he began to work by making disciples of all nations. Right? Does that sound familiar? I hope it does, because the Great Commission, it says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. You guys do know it. Look at that. Go and make disciples of all nations. And here Jesus is going to the nations. He's doing what he would later preach. And Jesus went to a location that would be strategically beneficial in the, the advance of the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, I think we have a map, if we could put that up here. Um, now, I, I just want to explain real quick. Some people told me they like maps, so I was like, cool, I'm going to put a map in here. Um, so, there are two locations on here that are circled. Um, there's one right here. It's Anon, uh, Anon right here in the middle. Now, I... This is my understanding of where Jesus was before he went back to Galilee. Okay? Matthew gives us part of the story. Right? Now, I hope you all know that Matthew doesn't tell everything that Jesus did over his ministry. Right? You all familiar with that concept? Uh, None of the Gospels do. As a matter of fact, John says at the end of his Gospel, if we told everything that Jesus did, there there wouldn't be enough volumes in the whole world to hold everything that Jesus did. Um, So, this isn't everything. And Matthew, on top of that, Matthew doesn't write necessarily chronologically. He writes thematically. So, we see themes. So, whenever we read that this happened here, what we're really diving into is a point in Jesus' ministry where he's already been serving, he's already been preaching, he's already been teaching, he's already been healing. Um, And what happens if we go over to John's account, we find that he's already started his public ministry. As a matter of fact, just before he comes back to Galilee, if I understand this right, he has been near Anon where John had been baptizing. That's why that position is significant. But Jesus leaves here, and instead of staying down here in the region of Judea, which is all of this, you see it says Judea right here, um, but also there's all this region right here that is Judea, okay? So he leaves the region of Judea and comes back up here to this region of Galilee. And as he does, he goes through Cana, which is right here. Nazareth is his hometown. He could have gone there, but instead he comes north, and he comes up here to Capernaum. Jesus goes somewhere strategically. I find it interesting that he goes here to Capernaum, and in this region of Galilee here, in this region right here, um, the historian Josephus says that it's about a 70 by 40 mile, now of course he wasn't measuring in miles, but we know that the region is about 70 by 40, um, 70 miles by 40 miles. And he says that in that region there's over 200 villages and cities with at least 15,000 people. Now, that's a pretty liberal estimation. But even if we assume that it's five to 10,000 people at least in those areas, that means that there's a lot of little towns that Jesus is going to preaching and teaching. Why did he go to Capernaum and Galilee? Well, he, took, he had a strategic withdrawal and he went to where he could advance the gospel. Went to where he knew the gospel could advance. So Jesus goes to Galilee and begins this teaching and preaching ministry. And we see that he knew where to go. I mean, even this quote from Isaiah here indicates that these people were living in darkness, right? In Galilee of the Gentiles, of the nations. And these people, they would see a great light. They would see Jesus. Jesus knew that God's word impacted where he went. And again, he's not just starting out. He's been traveling already. 
So we see him now come back to Galilee and begin this preaching ministry. So he knew where he was supposed to go. Knew where he was supposed to go. He allowed God's word to impact where he went. But I think further, he knew when to go. Um, The text today tells us that this all starts when, when John the Baptist, when John the Baptist had been arrested. So he learned, he was wise enough to look at his circumstances around him and know that it was time to withdraw. It was time to change. It was time to go to Galilee. He allowed the circumstances not to dictate where he went, but to be a sign as to where the Father was leading him. He allowed that to happen. Now, also understand something. I'm not telling you that if you experience challenges in in ministry, that means that you need to pack your bags and leave. Um, I don't think that's always the case. As a matter of fact, if that was the case, Jesus would have never gone to the cross. Jesus had to persevere even when it was difficult. But I do think that there are times where we can look at our circumstances around us and say, God, are you showing me something? Would you have me to leave? And prayerfully and biblically consider, God, is this where you want me to be? Jesus was able to know where and when because he allowed the Father to lead him and guide him. So what I'm saying is whenever we assess the circumstances we face, we need to do so biblically and prayerfully and ask God to lead us where we need to go. Now, again, if we're asking this question, perhaps the answer for some of you is that you need to make a dramatic life change. That may be the case for you. Um, If we're going to say, I'm following Jesus, if we're going to make that comment, and then God leads us to go somewhere that's difficult, are we going to follow Jesus? I think for some, that might mean a dramatic change, and it might mean now, it might mean next month, it might mean next year, and perhaps God's even going to tell you, stay where you are until further notice. I think that's a very real possibility. Regardless of where Jesus was, though, Notice that the purpose never changed, right? The purpose didn't change. Verse 17, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? Jesus came to see people changed, fundamentally changed. Now, you might think that sounds familiar because the exact same message was the one that John was preaching back just a chapter ago, where he said, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Opposition or no opposition, the kingdom could not be stopped. The kingdom needed to be advanced. And Jesus knew that. So the message didn't change just because his context changed. That's something that we could learn. Now, the way he packaged it might change. (laughs) In this particular case, it didn't. Regardless of where we are, the message is the same. Regardless of which context we live in, the message is the same. We need to call people to repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the way we do that, the words might be different. One place it might be gentle. We see that with Jesus as he approaches some people. It might be a little more abrasive whenever he approaches others. The message is the same, though. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So regardless of where God has led us, the message is the same. See, God might choose to use this person or that person here or there. Um, And I'll be honest with you. um, I've fallen into that trap where I look at somebody else's ministry and I'm like, well, God, why couldn't that happen with my ministry? And it becomes about me instead of what God's doing. The truth is, God is not not dependent upon you or I for the advance of the gospel. God is not dependent on us for the advance of the gospel. He's God. Oftentimes we think of ourselves like, if I don't share the gospel with this person, nobody ever will. And I understand the point. I understand the point. Like, yeah, we need to share the gospel with those people for sure. God's not dependent on you. 
I mean, let's express a little humility recognizing that John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a great preacher. He was a prophet of God. God wasn't dependent on John the Baptist for the advance of the gospel. The message was the same. People were repenting and coming to faith in Jesus. See, our job, our job is to seek where God would have us to go and then proclaim the gospel when God would have us to go there. That's our job. Proclaim the gospel wherever God would lead us, whenever God would lead us there. So if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus, we must first go where he leads. Second, if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus, we must engage in discipleship. We must engage in discipleship. So Jesus starts preaching in verse 17, right? Then verse 18, it says, As he walked along the side, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. See, we look at this passage and we're like, boy, that's weird, right? Okay, just think about this. There's two guys in a boat, and a guy's walking by on the shore, and he says, hey, come follow me. And the guys are like, all right, see ya. I'm leaving my job. I'm leaving everything. I'm going to go follow this dude. That's, anybody else think that's a little strange? Am I the only one? Like, if somebody came walking by the church building, and I'm here doing, doing my job, and somebody comes by and says, hey, come follow me. I'm like, you're nuts. I'm not following you anywhere. So it seems a little strange to us. It seems a little bit strange to us, okay? <laughs> and I'm not suggesting it was easy for these men. But again, if we understand the context, first century Jewish people who this is primarily written to, then it makes it a little more clear, okay? These men, these men, yes, they had careers, they had families, but it was still certainly difficult because these men were fishermen by trade, okay? But it was not uncommon for a rabbi to call disciples to, liz- to physically leave their homes, to leave what they were doing, and follow a rabbi, to learn from him. So this wasn't as uncommon as we would think it was today. Now understand, this was still difficult because, again, these men were fishermen. That's what they knew, And they were leaving their homes, they were leaving their jobs. As a matter of fact, we find that James and John were with their father in the boat, and they were likely raised from the time they were young boys to be fishermen. So yeah, this was difficult for them. But maybe not as uncommon as we think. But Jesus, what he's doing here is he's he's practicing something that was very maybe very common in the time, but it it was giving it an extraordinary meaning. These men were asked to follow, to leave everything they have to follow a new master to physically uproot their lives and follow after Jesus. Now, again, I don't want to pretend that we knew exactly what these guys were leaving because we have no idea where they were on the socioeconomic hierarchy. We have no idea where they fell on. We don't know what their status looked like. As a matter of fact, I've heard preachers try to elaborate on where these guys stood as far as the economy goes. Like, were these men wealthy, well-connected men, or were they poor and just trying to scrape by? I've heard preachers say both. (laughs) truth is, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know who they were, and it really, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If it mattered, I believe Matthew probably would have told us here. Um, D.A. Carson, um, he, he wrote on this. He said, we must not exaggerate the ignorance or poverty of, uh, of Jesus' first followers. While they were not trained scribes or rabbis, they were not illiterate, stupid, or destitute. Indeed, Peter's protest in Matthew 19.27 implies that many or all of the twelve had been given much, or had given up much to follow Jesus. See, these guys were just average people. These were just men trying to do their job. And Jesus came by and changed their lives. See, when Jesus showed up, he changed everything with two very simple words. Two very simple words. And I'll tell you again, this is simple in concept. He says, follow me. 
Very simple, right? You guys know what it means to follow someone, right? To follow something. So if we played follow the leader right now, and I got up and I walked around the room, you all know what to do, right? Walk behind the leader. You guys know that? That's what it means to follow someone. And these two words changed everything for these men. Now, I think it's worth our time to point out what Jesus did not say here. Okay? Again, because if we've got this Christianized language, let's just look at what he did not say, what he did not call these men to. He didn't say, um, you men, pray, these, pray this prayer. He didn't say, sign this card. He didn't say, raise a hand. You in the back there, yep, I see that hand. He didn't say that. Nowhere did he say that. He didn't say, invite me into your heart. Didn't say it. It's not what the Bible tells us to do. Yet, I've used that line. I've used actually several of these. I've said these things. And I'm not saying that all of them are inherently wrong. I'm not saying that they're all evil. I'm not saying that they're bad. What I'm saying is that's not what Jesus demands of his followers. He says, follow me. That's what he commands of these men. To follow me. Not pray a prayer. Not invite me into your heart. Not do any of that stuff. What does that even mean? Like, I, don't, I don't even know for sure. And maybe, I told you, I've been reading this book. It's, uh, it's actually called Follow Me, and I hope that sounds familiar at this point, um, by David Platt. And he talks about the significance of what we're called to do. And I just want to read this because um, it was helpful for me. In this book, he says, Now I want to be very careful here because we could begin to twist the gospel into something it's not. Jesus is not saying that our works are the basis for our salvation. The grace of God is the only basis for our, of our salvation. But in our rush to defend grace, we cannot overlook the obvious in what Jesus is saying here and in many other places as well. Only those who are obedient to the words of Christ will enter the kingdom of Christ. If our lives do not reflect the fruit of following Jesus, then we are foolish to think that we are actually followers of Jesus in the first place. See, we want to say, okay, I'm following Jesus in my heart. But our lives have no visible evidence of that? Are we lying to ourselves? Because that's what it would seem. There has to be physical evidence. These men didn't, weren't saying, Jesus, I'm going to follow you in my heart, but I'm going to stay in my boat. It's not what they were called to. They were called to get up and follow Jesus. Further, this isn't just how Jesus calls them or what he says, but it's also a command to what they're supposed to do. Um, notice what they're told. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, is the way that most of us have memorized that, right? Make you fishers of men. Jesus is saying, follow me and I will make you into the means by which I disciple others. He says, I'll make you into the means by which I reach the nations. But notice though, notice again, it's not like you're going to go reach the nations. He says, no, I'll reach the nations through you. Notice that his action is still the one that's the, the main thrust here, right? He says, I will make. It's still about what Jesus is going to do. It's not about what these men were capable of or what they were able to do. Honestly, their abilities are irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Jesus wasn't limited by what these men could do. Instead, he says, I will make you fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. And in this one sentence, we, we see it all, right? Jesus calling on, uh, his calling on us and his command to us, right? We can see this. He's not asking us just to believe something different or do these religious practices. He says, get up and follow me. Do what I do. Learn from me. What he's saying is, come, I'm going to be your teacher. I'm going to be your master. Follow after me. Pursue me. 
Not these other things, not do these religious duties, not believe something new. Follow me. You see how that's different from what we, we oftentimes hear in church circles? It's not about just believe something different. It's about following Jesus. Yeah, we're saved by faith, absolutely. And there is a, a mental concept, a con, or component to that. But he says, follow me. Not just believe something different. Follow me is what Jesus says. And beyond that, he commands us then to engage in discipleship. To make disciples of all nations. To fish for people. See, that's our job. We're supposed to do what Jesus does. Because you know what happens whenever people start to follow you as you're a follower of Jesus? Like, it doesn't really matter where you're at in the line. Like, if we had, if I had all y'all stand up, that's the portal of y'all. I just realized that. Like, I just said that. All y'all. If I had all of you all line up right here in the middle of this room. Like, the person in the front is still leading the person in the back, right? Now, they might be just be following the person in front of them, the person in front of them, but the idea isn't just to follow the person right in front of you, it's to follow Jesus. As Peter makes disciples. He's not just teaching people follow Peter, he's teaching people follow Jesus. Part of that is by following him. As a matter of fact, I think Paul says as much. Paul, as he talks about this, he says, follow me as I strive to follow Jesus. What he's saying is, even by following this person, by making disciples of this person, you're not teaching them to follow me, you're teaching them to follow the master. And that's what we see here Jesus is calling them to do. He says, you follow me, and as you follow me, and you help others to come along behind you and follow after you, they're going to be following me also. One teaches the next, teaches the next. So if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus, we must first go where he leads, then we must engage in discipleship, and third, um, we must proclaim the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel. Jesus has already declared the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but then verse 23, it says, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds began to follow or followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. See, Jesus here... He begins this ministry as an itinerant preacher, going from one place to the next place, preaching. And he goes all over the region of Galilee to their synagogues. And again, this was a relatively small area with lots of towns, with people. Um, so he would go to their synagogues and he was teaching. And the reason I say that we need to proclaim the gospel is because that's literally what Jesus was doing here. Whenever it says that he proclaimed the good news, um, it's like announcing like a herald would. Coming in before the king and he's announcing, hey, here comes the king. Um, one... one um, language tool actually said that this was a public crier, and I don't think they were talking about like a crybaby, like crying out in public, like, here this is. And what's he, what's he proclaiming? Well, it says the good news of the kingdom, right? Literally, the good news is the, it's the Greek word euagalion, which means it's where we get our word gospel. He came, and he's declaring the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, our master, the one we're claiming to follow... He's proclaiming the good news. You know what we ought to be doing then if we're going to follow Jesus? Proclaim the good news. Proclaim the good news of the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We have the best news in the world that the king of the universe, he pursued us. We didn't even know we needed to be pursued. We're running the opposite direction. And the creator of everything that Rod just pointed out, those galaxies, the one who thought all this up, like who came up with this idea of laminate, embedding that in our DNA. That God, that God, he pursued us. 
Y'all, we have the best news in the world. Uh, I, we ought to be proclaiming that. But see, that's not all he did, is it? He, he proclaimed the good news. But as he did, notice he also starts healing all these people. Right? Jesus met real physical needs. Real physical needs. And he did it in a miraculous way. Literally performing miracles to heal people, to cast out demons and so on. Literally performing miracles. Now, people ask me oftentimes, like, do you believe that miraculous things like this can still happen today? I do. Yes. Yes and yes, I do. Uh, Again, I think I've told you all this before, but I've seen too many things that I don't know how to explain. Like, I, I don't... I don't know how things happen. Like, no medical reason for people being healed. How does it happen? Well, God did something. I I don't have the explanation for it other than God. Um, I believe that our God has done something. So do I believe that miracles can still happen today? Yes. Um, But I think that there are two reasons that Jesus actually did this healing, performed these these miracles, that we we see this healing. First of all, the healings, um, they're a sign of this inbreaking of the kingdom. Right, the kingdom of God, his rule, his reign, his authority over all things, we see evidence of it because now all these people who otherwise couldn't have been healed, they're healed. Demons are cast out. So we see this inbreaking of the kingdom. It's almost as if Jesus here, he's saying, The kingdom of heaven is near and I'll prove it. I'll show you. And he does these things. Second reason I think that this is so important, and I, I think this may even be um, just as important as the other, if these people were going to be able to hear the good news of the kingdom, they were going to need care physically. Some of these people were experiencing real struggles in real life. And we don't want to miss that. Like we hear, oh, well, there were people who were struggling with this disease or that disease or intense pain or um, epilepsy or paralyzation. Like, okay, yeah, we know. No, no, these people were dealing with real struggles, like real problems. And it would have been difficult for them to think through, like, okay, here's what this looks like. Okay, yeah, I understand. Jesus came to die for my sins. If he didn't meet their real physical needs, it's difficult for them to hear anything. So look, I think this is why the church needs to care for the physical needs of people as well as their spiritual needs, as well as proclaiming the gospel to them. See, I've watched a lot of ministries, or I've, I've heard of a lot of ministries. I've seen a lot of ministries who are really good at one or the other. They're either really good at proclaiming the gospel, or they're really good at meeting people's physical needs, um, it's pretty rare whenever you see ministries that are good at both. Uh, good at both. Um, I, I've seen some that are so focused on the gospel proclamation that they're like, we're just going to proclaim the gospel and proclaim the gospel, proclaim the gospel that they ignore people's physical needs. Like, yeah, but they don't, they don't need that. They need something bigger than that. Like, yeah, they do. They can't hear you, though, because they're hurting. Like, they're not sure how they're going to eat tomorrow. They're not worried about eternity. They're worried about Tomorrow. Like, we need to meet people's real physical needs. And people almost say, well, the physical isn't the most important thing, so let's just get you saved. I understand the point, but let's not miss the need people have physically. Or we see the flip side of that, where people are so heavily focused on the physical needs that they never get to the gospel proclamation. Like, people, well-intentioned people, they're like, we're going we're gonna to dig these wells, we're going we're gonna to feed the hungry, we're going to build hospitals, and we're going to meet people's physical needs. But what gets lost in the mix is, well, we also need to tell them how they could be saved from their sins for all eternity. See, Jesus realizes that both are important. 
And for that reason, he cares for people's physical needs and he declares the good news of the kingdom. And we see the result in verse 25 that these large crowds followed him from all of these regions that he lists. These large crowds begin to follow Jesus. Now remember, again, our goal isn't just to draw a crowd, um, but to see souls won. Like, we don't want to just draw a crowd. I've said before, I hope this place is packed on a Sunday morning. Um, I hope it's packed throughout the week. I hope people want to be a part of what's going on at Christian Fellowship Church. But the goal is not just to draw a crowd, it's to see people change for eternity. But I believe, I believe that when we care for people physically, actually strive to meet real physical needs, and we proclaim the good news of the kingdom, I think people are going to fall in love with Jesus. And I think you're going to see people come. So both need to happen. See, this is actually one of the things I've just, actually through studying this, I started praying, and I got, I got the opportunity to share this with a brother just last night, um, that uh, I just started praying that God would not just draw us in, but also send us out. God, draw us in, and then send us out. I hope that as we come to know who Jesus is and what he's done, that creates something in us, it stirs something in us that makes us want to go care for people's physical needs and tell them about the hope that we have in us. That's what we need to be, that God would draw us in and then send us out. And if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus, we must go where he leads, engage in discipleship, proclaim the gospel. So what? Well, how can you, where you are today, how can you be more faithful in following Jesus? Um, Again, this may mean a dramatic, I'll just try to combine two words. Uh, that's not that's not a real English word. So let's get back to what I actually typed here. Okay, um, for some of you that may mean a real and a drastic life change, whether that means moving, career, relationships, or some other change. It might mean something very drastic. For some of you, it may be as simple as intentionally finding somebody that you can pour your life into, that you can build up, that you can disciple, or finding somebody who can disciple you. Like it may be as simple as that. Or for some of you, it might mean that you need to stop hiding what you believe and share the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Like, instead of shying away from it, proclaim the best news in the world. For some of you, that might be what it means. And for some of you, perhaps, perhaps some of you are hearing this for the very first time or in a way that you haven't heard before, that you need to follow Jesus. Actually, follow Him. Look, the truth is, every single person... Every single person will follow someone or something. Everyone will. The Bible is very clear. There's nothing new under the sun. We think we're so clever and that we have all these new things and these new gadgets. Guess what? Nothing's new. None of it's new. It's all been done before. It may have a new package, but it's not a new idea. Even if you don't follow someone or something consciously, all of us are following something. And what I just told my kids the other night, and I've told you all before... If you put before me a smart man, a rich man, a powerful man, and then a guy who defeated death, which one do I want to follow? Which one do I want to be most like? I want to be like the guy who can't die. Like, that's the one I want to follow. I don't know why we make it so complicated. Like, I want to follow that guy. That's Jesus. Jesus actually declares, I am the way, the truth, the life. If we want to experience life, follow the one who has it. It's not overly complicated. Follow him. And see, his disciples realize this. This is why Peter, Peter, when the twelve, they're asked if they want to turn back and stop following after Jesus. Peter says in John chapter 6, he says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Whenever we come to know that that's who He is, and we hear those two simple words, follow me, I think we begin to leave everything else behind and follow Him. I believe that's the same invitation to us today. Jesus says to us, follow me. The question then becomes, how will you respond? So, let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for the challenge of this word. Um, Or as we see the way that you called your first disciples um, with these two very simple words, follow me. Um, Lord, and I, I thank you for that calling that you've placed on my life to follow you. I'm thankful for the many here who profess to be followers of Jesus. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to cut through some of the other things, even the, the, the things that were, were, they come up well-intentioned. Lord, I, I know people mean well, but Lord, what you demand of us, what you call us to, is not many of these things that we've been following after. Instead, you tell us to follow you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would stir something in us, that you would change us so that we might see that the calling you've placed on us is not to um, pray a prayer, to follow rules, to do this or that or whatever the other thing might be, but it is to get up and follow after our Savior. Lord, help us to be faithful with that calling, to hear what you say, to believe it's true, and to follow after you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us and then to be faithful with that calling as you make us into fishers of men. So, Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.